gold plane peekaboo. It broke below the level I wanted to see it at, but it's still within a dollar. We'll talk month-end closing prices for gold. The VIX spiked again today. It popped 16%. The month ended calmly. December has not started that way. M&A merger mania is here. Kirkland, Continental, a host of other transactions. We'll talk about that. We're going to talk about virtual reality for cows, who's a good boy, and why 536 AD was the worst year to be alive, according to scientists. I am Gerardo Del Real. This is the post-Thanksgiving Bizarro World Special, episode 46, along with my co-host, Mr. Nick Hodge. Nick, how are you, sir? You survived Thanksgiving. It's been a whirlwind of a week, Gerardo. I can't believe we haven't talked since the Kirkland detour deal. I could have sworn we talked about it last week, but in fact, we haven't talked since then. You're right. M&A is in full swing. Thanksgiving was a blast. It was uh, also a whirlwind. We had guests in town, and then we took off ourselves out of town the day after, got back late last night. Here it is Monday. We normally record on Friday, so a lot has transpired. How was your Thanksgiving, Gerardo? It was phenomenal. Great people around. Great food. Some very good drinks. Um, it, it, it was excellent. It's it's. I'm recharged. I'm ready to go. And this will be our publishing schedule, by the way, everybody, for the next week or so. Mr. Hodge here has a birthday celebration. So happy early birthday, Mr. Hodge. Oh, thank you very much. How are? How old are you now? Twenty five, twenty six. I know, I know you're young. What's the year? Is it six? We got to carry the one. We drop the three. I will be 36 years old. Congratulations, man. Health, wealth, and a lot of love and good people to do it all with, right? That's the goal. That, that's right. It's been a, a good run and, you know, we're looking for better things ahead with the things we'll talk about today and the markets we're in, but looking forward to um, 2020 and 36 for sure. Let's talk about it. Listen, just today, Continental Gold was bought for a billion dollars in cash. Um, over over the last week, Kirkland Lake decided they were going to spend $4.9 billion to acquire an asset that, frankly, um, is a low-margin, lower-grade, higher-capex asset that really doesn't do much for Kirkland Lake other than increase um, their reserves and it, you know, it's sacrificing quality. I think for quantity shareholders responded accordingly, sending the stock down 20% since then. But I think there's a lot to be said for the types of assets that are getting taken out like continental gold, which I believe that mine will have issues as far as grade and continuity, um, in the future, but like continental gold's asset, it's, uh, it's an asset that has scale. And in the case of uh, Detour Gold, the asset there, I believe, commanded a premium because of the safe jurisdiction it's in. Obviously not the case um, for Continental Gold. They've had issues, and in Colombia, depending on where you're at, um, has its, its challenges. But um, it speaks to the fact that there's not a lot of these assets out there, assets with scale, assets that can really significantly impact the reserve base. I would love to hear your thoughts on this. And then I would love to know whether you think this is a trend that continues. Well, there's so many thoughts to be had. I don't know if I'll get them all out in um, the first pass here, but let me see what I can do. Um, 
Uh, you talked about shareholders responding negative, negatively to the Kirkland deal. I've talked with some smart people and received some emails from from some smart people, or at least people I can um, consider smart and 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 plugged in, who say it's, it's probably a decent deal for Kirkland. Look, they had the high grade um, underground low cost that has has been in the news in the past couple of days as this deal has been announced, and what they got, as you said, was a a lower grade open pit, but it sort of gives them what they didn't have, um, something that has uh, a bit longer uh, mine life, for example, in a, in a jurisdiction which is sought after in Canada. But what it does give them is is, is optionality. And so let's, let's talk about what that might mean. I mean, if you think you're going to be in a years long bull market at higher prices, maybe a asset that has cost at 11 or $1,200 uh, an ounce isn't that bad if it's long lived, right? We talk about optionality plays a lot that need higher gold prices to be economic. But we also talk about the the fact that prices have to rise to make more ounces economic because we ha- we've had a dearth of new discoveries and we need um, to replace or replenish reserves. So all these news items that we're talking about and are going to talk about over the next couple of minutes, the Kirkland detour and the, and the continental um, China deal is um, really evidence of the things that you and I talk about and have talked about for um, a year now, right? Um, majors, big miners like Kirkland needing to replenish the reserves is certainly one. Um, in in the case of the Continental deal, something that we've talked about, especially in the past, I feel like month or two months is China buying um, basically all the good assets in the world, all the high quality um, metals assets, whether that's precious or base. And that's exactly the case um, in the continental deal. So that's two big themes that we talk about a hmm. lot. Right. And now um, and then just overall, we've talked about how M&A had to had to increase, et cetera, et cetera. And so this is sort of like a checking off of the box. And so while maybe in the past you know, three or so weeks, I felt um very much uncertain about the space. I didn't like the recent weakness in the gold price. I certainly didn't like the recent um, weakness in the juniors um, that have been the lowest that they've been in years, despite um, uh, a year's high gold price. And so um, these deals have given me a bit of, and I know I'm taking up a lot of time. I'm long. No, no, that's why we're here. They've given me more confidence in sort of the speculations that I hold and the deals that I'm invested in that haven't had um, the success as measured by uh, increased stock prices, but that have had success as far as, um, you know, the criteria or improving the criteria that majors look for, whether that's, you know, whatever that is, jurisdiction or improving the metallurgy or growing the asset, whatever it is, converting inferred to to indicate it, et cetera, et cetera. I'm taking a step back and I'm looking, huh, okay. Um, Detour is getting taken out of the premium. Look at this deal in Columbia, which isn't even a, a, a great jurisdiction, although it's a, it's a pretty darn good asset. And then I look at what I have and I'm thinking, yeah, like the cards are just falling into place here. It's, it's been a bit um, delayed and it's certainly tested everyone's patience, but this is exactly what's supposed to be happening. And so, I don't know if that was an answer or a non-answer. I haven't delved into the specifics of these two deals that we're talking about because one happened just this morning in the wee hours. But those are my sentiments as it relates to how I feel and sort of the macro view we've been talking about um, for gold. 
Agreed. Um, I'll add another question, and I, I I know I know one answer, but you know, being that we're looking at assets that are being bought up at four point nine billion dollars and a billion dollars, there is obviously a move for capital to position itself looking forward, right? As you mentioned, um, you feel better um, at the fact that these assets are being taken out and, and that the premiums are being bought at. Um, despite the fact that some of these assets have challenges, what do you see on the horizon as far as companies that are, you know, the next takeout targets that have that scale that are in good jurisdictions? Who do you like out there? You've asked me this question before, and you said I you know have. one. You know one of the answers, and you said you know what it's going to be. It's probably K nine two because that's immediately where my mind goes, yep. especially after the drill results that came out. I think it was last week or the week before. Just phenomenal grades. They're finding high grade um, gold and copper um, and other metals in nearly every hole they poke in the ground. The stock has done well. It's been putting in a base for the past. I don't know, call it a couple of months here, um, but just one that used to be in Barrick's hand. And then I think we'll have to go back into the hands of um, a major here in the near future. Well, just when I look at the the nexus of deals that are, um, you know, in the in the spheres that I run in, I could be overlooking something. But um, and then, you know, you have to talk about Midas Gold. I'm going to sound like a broken record on this, but they're yeah, coming into a, they're coming into a year where they're. Um, and I could throw out a third that might have a deal on the table right now, but maybe we'll save that for a couple of weeks. But you have to look at Midas just because of the the permitting timeline, right? We're now coming into a year um, where we're supposed to get draft, you know, um, record of decisions from the from the Forest Service um, coming to the end of the the permitting timeline, which has been um, drawn out and arduous. And um, everyone knows the asset. Everyone knows who the potential suitor is. Um, it has everything that you'd like with Barrick already taking a big chunk. Paulson already in there for a big chunk, who was also in for a big chunk of the of the detour that just got taken out. And so you have all those things um, swirling around there. It makes a good case for Midas Gold to be taken out eventually. I'm not saying someone you know comes in now. They probably want to see the permit in hand. But once permit is hand, it makes all the sense in the world. Hmm. A lot of thoughts on that. Um, okay. I'll leave it there. We'll, we'll save a little bit for next week. I do have some thoughts to follow up on when it comes to takeout targets, people that maybe have deals on the table. Hopefully we get some clarity here in the next week to week and a half. I couldn't help but notice that on November the 28th, um, Continental Gold volume spiked with over a million shares. Uh, so, yeah, interesting. Um, let's leave that there. Let's talk about gold. I mentioned that it's doing this kind of peekaboo game, right? Where I thought it had to close at that 1464.50, 1465 level for the month. And if it didn't, I thought we would go back down to 1400 sometime in December. We'll see if that's the case. It closed, right? Right at 1464. Um, And again, we keep using this word. We sound like broken records, but it's been, the price has been very, very resilient. Um, do you think we, we, we get that leg down in December the way that, that, that I've, I've thought we were the way I thought was going to happen, or do you think it continues to hold up and then, and, and finally breaks out? Oh God. I mean, that's crystal ball <laughs> stuff. So, I mean, let's talk about the past couple of, um, days of trading action. I did not think it was going to 
spike back up to the level it needed to to close the month at 14.64 and sure enough what the hell happens on the last <laughs> trading day of the month? Yep. I yep. mean, if you look at the chart, it's like, you know, if you're one of these tinfoil hat people or you're a markets is rigged person and you look at this chart, I mean, how could it not be from that point of view, right? You know, gold's yep. at 1452, 1454, looking kind of weak, needs to make a technical close and then boom, that day jumps to... I think just above 1466, I'm looking at a detailed candlestick here to, and then settle to close, as you said, right at 1464. So um, if you're a technician, um, things are falling into place, right? Gold did exactly what it has to do for whatever reasons it did that. And um, God, I want to be an optimist so bad that I'm going to say, um, I don't think we get that leg down. I think from a technical standpoint, Gold did what it had to do because it had to do it to remain technically in a bull market, um, which is what gold wants to do now. It's where gold wants to be. I think it it feels like it wants to be in a in a bull market. And that technical close, I think, is a confirmation, at least in my eyes. But what do I know? Let's talk volatility. We talked about how calm the markets have been. They've 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 gone straight up. It's the most hated bull market. The U.S. indices. Um, it, it's the most hated bull market um, that I can recall. And um, you know, today we got a, a 15, 16 percent pop in the VIX, which measures volatility. Um, the market closed down, I believe, two hundred and fifty points, two hundred and sixty points down over a percent. Do you think that is a sign of things to come in the major U.S. indices? And with that being said, do you do you think despite that the market continues higher because of the Fed and all this artificial stimulus that we have? That's a double yes to that answer. Uh, um, that's a yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you mean to expand? I'm just been, absolutely. I've been. Well, we needed volatility. I mean, the stock market was going up every single fucking day. I, I think it had two or three down days in November or something like that. We got um, another rate cut. We continue to have Fed intervention. We continue to have stock buybacks, um, et cetera. All the stuff that is making the market go up. Um, I wanted to mention Tina again, which is something that we talked about months ago and why this is a Tina market. If you'll recall, it's a Tina market because there is no alternative T-I-N-A. And we've hey, been. Hey, Tina. Hey, girl. <laughs> we've been we've been we've been back to that recently with um, there's no alternative to U.S. stocks because, um, you know, because, 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 because of the wonderful things he does. Jerome Powell. Um, and the fact that we have, you know, the world's biggest and strongest economy and the biggest and strongest military default makes us the biggest and baddest fiat currency in the world. And that makes the, the market go round. And so that's why there is no alternative to um, the U.S. dollar and the, the U.S. stock market. But um, we also know that the outlook isn't that rosy for, for data points that we've mentioned here, whether that's manufacturing indexes or, or stagnant wages or, um, you know, the whole conundrum we're in with negative rates and the, the reason we haven't, you know, we've just been treading water monetarily for the past decade. Um, all that's going to come home to roost. And so um, how do I want to organize this so I make sense? One, there's a lot of exuberance out there. I mean, People have a lot of money because at least if you've been in the stock market, the 10% the of the country that's been in the stock market has a lot of money. I see a lot of signs of 
um, wanton and excess spending. And um, I don't know, just anecdotally, I see it around. Um, and then, you know, in the back of your mind, there's going to be this rotation, this smart money rotation because of the things that Ray Dalio and other billionaires and money managers have said. And because of the things that you and I talk about this um, rotation or at least small part of the global capital rotation we're going to see into safe havens uh, and equities. And so I think that's what you're seeing, right? It's going to come in in waves and pulses and the down days you're seeing like this. I think you're seeing um, some of the money coming out, some of the gains being taken, um, rotated perhaps into um, classic safe havens. But and so that's the volatility. That's the first part of your question. Um, right. And then, but, but you go back to Tina, right? There is no alternative. And so that's the second part of your question. The, the U.S. stocks continue to go up, which is why I said yes. And in an environment where there's so much negative yielding debt, right? I think we're right at the 16, 17 trillion dollar level. Um, gold, gold equities, commodity stocks, which are coming out of just an absolute brutal bear market, all of a sudden look a whole heck of a lot more attractive within the context, especially of a, a, a crypto bubble that has since deflated and a cannabis bubble that has since deflated. And, you know, maybe we're at the bottom for both of those and those both heat up again. But in the meantime, there is obviously capital looking to go where it's treated best. And I agree with you. I think the major U.S. indices will continue to catch a bid. And I think the better names in the junior resource space will finally also continue to catch a bid. I think right now it's the large scale assets with 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 that optionality uh, feature that 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 seems to be so important to these companies that are that are buying these assets. Um, you know, but also there's there's companies out there. You mentioned Midas Gold. You mentioned K92. These are these are low cost operations. One is producing, one is not yet. But these are low cost operations with with assets that have been largely de-risked, right? And so I think you can easily see, you know, significant premiums from today's prices for those two companies. Let me ask you this. We're still in the midst of tax law selling season. Most of the people that listen to this podcast listen to it for one of two reasons. They want to hear our take on the markets and see if there's some free information we could give that will allow them to make some money. And then the other two want to hear me cuss every now and then, right? And rant and rave and get the insightful stories that you provide and the intelligent balance that you provide to, to, to the podcast, Nick. So let's go with the first one. Let's pick Let's pick some names that you think uh, maybe are getting hit disproportionately because of tax loss selling season that will make people some money likely if uh, they have the speculative capital and the risk appetite to dabble. First, a story. <laughs> I um, love it. <laughs> so I've been, well, I always read my emails and, and read what other newsletter writers are, are, are writing and, and recommending. And so, um, one deal that I have seen just in my in well, you know where I saw it actually this morning was in a um, a stock watch gold summary. You know that stock watch does the gold summary every day sure. for the previous day's news, et cetera, et cetera. So I saw Quebec Precious was in there today, and it rung a bell. And I whenever I whenever something rings a bell, I go into a, to my email and I see well, why does it ring a bell? Who sent me this deal? When did I last look at it, et cetera, et cetera. And so um quebec precious metals was in the stock watch right up because they had raised some money i think it was like at um 22 cents let me type it in so i get it exactly right um i believe it was 22 cents though and i said huh why does that make why does that ring a bell to me um and it rung a bell because it was 22 cents i was correct um 
because it had been pitched to me by um, two people earlier this year, back in February. I think I even sent an email to you about it. I know I did because I was just looking in my email today. It said, hey, hey, Gerardo, a couple of people (laughs) are starting to talk about this deal, just FYI or whatever. Um, And so what was the price back then in February? I went and looked when people were emailing this deal to me as one that I should get involved in because the price was going to run away. <laughs> well, the price. How did February, I respond? <laughs> I think Bryce said, I'll take a look or something. Um, which is <laughs> but we didn't do anything on the deal. And so the point, I guess, is it was at 45 cents back then in February yep. when people were recommending it and, and emailing the slide deck around. This is a good one, one to keep an eye on. And here they are, um, you know, the end of the year raising money at, um, 22 cents, which um, a math scholar would tell you is half the price it was when uh, people <laughs> were writing, saying it was a good deal. And I say that not to poo-poo anyone that was sending around the Quebec precious metals deal or anything like that, but to say that, um, you know, one, I think people thought 2019 was going to be uh, much better than it turned out to be for the precious metals complex and particularly the juniors. And we got some of the first part of that, but none of the second part of that. Um, And so these deals that were put together to capitalize on what didn't materialize ended up falling apart. Are you following me? Absolutely. Meanwhile, you have other deals. That's this is why I told you the story that had been working that weren't just put together um, hastily to take advantage of what was supposed to be a good year in the space, uh, but that had been methodically plugging away on some of the criteria that I mentioned um, earlier, improving their jurisdiction, adding to their land package, de-risking the things that you do as a junior, et cetera. Um, And so that was a long way to answer your question with the stock that you sent a trade out on this morning, which is Millrock Resources. I'm sure I stole your answer, Um, but that's a stock that um, financed itself recently at seven cents, um, ran to 17 cents on the back of a, um, a great deal it's done to have an Australian company come in and, and put up serious exploration dollars um, on a land package where there's a mine next door with recent exploration that has shown a mineralized trend should go right onto Mill Rock's property. Um, and so that's why the stock went from seven cents to 17 cents in November, December ish. And it's now pulled back to because I was watching it as well. I wanted to send out a recommendation. You and I are often on the same page. So when I saw <laughs> that funny. hit my when I saw it hit my inbox, I was like, oh man, Damn it must it. be it must be down this <laughs> no, well, my first thought was, man, it must be down again this morning. Cause I had watched Mill Rock last week fall to like yeah. 13 cents or something. And I was like, it's almost time to pull the trigger. And so anyway, I'll shut up. Long story short is Mill Rock is one that's been punished because now it's down from 17 cents to eleven cents. Um you know, nearly where it was before this deal was announced and, and you got drilling that's going to start early next year. And um, gosh, it just seems like with the geophysics and the recent drill holes that were literally just meters, meters off the property line from what Millrock has, it's, it's looking pretty darn good up there in Alaska. And a, a little bit more context, uh, the 52-week high, which it hit recently, was 21 cents Canadian. It closed today at 11 cents Canadian. It's got a market cap of 10 and a half million Canadian. And you have a company that's committed um, in stages, but they're committed to spending 20 million US. So let me repeat that for everybody. There's a commitment, a signed deal. The company is raising money for it to spend $20 million US over the next several years. 5 million of that will, will be spent in 2020. It'll be aggressive drilling that will consist of at least seven to 10,000 meters. 
And like you mentioned, this is meters away from a recent discovery um, that Northern Star has on its Pogo mine land package. And so a lot to like there. Millrock is absolutely one name. You got any other ones? Oh, man, I'd have to think about it. I mean, while well, we go back to Midas has been has been beaten down a lot. Um, you know, let me just throw one out that's way, way out there, right? You got Nevada Sunrise, which is down to, mm. to four cents, had a new had a new uh, two million dollar market cap, folks. There you go. I mean, they got water rights that are worth that, that they recently had um, positive court news on uh, litigation news. Um, they've got a piece of uh, a property that a new partner came in on today in, in Berrien, a company that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Um, and and just as you say, $2 million market cap is so, so cheap relative to, and again, another, it's funny that I picked two prospect generators, right? Mm. Um, that has access to, to projects with um, out having to use all its own resources and capital. So there's two, Millrock and Nevada Sunrises, I would say both um, extremely cheap, albeit extremely risky just because of the space and the size of the companies that we're talking about. As are all these companies, right? I'll throw two more out there that, that, that are less risky to an extent just because one, Chicana Copper is cashed up, right? They, they have a healthy treasury, um, they've, they've paused drilling until they get these new permits, the modification for the new permits that will allow them to drill the most prospective part of their very robust land package. Good management team. Um, share structure is being cleaned up as we speak. I believe mid-January is the next time the last of those initial cheap founder shares will come free trading. They had some internal issues with an employee. That employee has been terminated. That has been cleaned up. So I believe that company is going to have a phenomenal 2020. And a second one, um, and there's whispers that this company has an offer on the table or is about to get one, is Cucho Copper. Um, Great copper gold asset. Very good management team. Very good share structure. Um, I I, I think copper is going to have a very good 2020. I like the commodity. Um, I think the asset is a very good asset, and I think that it's due for a, a, a pretty robust turnaround if it makes it out of 2019, right? Again, there's been several potential suitors that are trying to buy the company at a significant premium from, from where it trades today, but a premium that would make not a lot of early shareholders like myself happy because we're in at higher levels. And so I'd much rather see the company wait for the turnaround and and raise money at higher prices. Um, but we'll see if that actually materializes either way with tax law selling season happening right now. Um, I think Chicana Copper, Millrock Resources, Cucho Copper, I, I, I think those are all excellent, excellent names. And Nevada Sunrise was the fourth one there. So there's four free names for you all to go do some due diligence on. And again, if you have the risk appetite and it fits your... Uh, criteria and you have some speculative capital that you can afford to lose those are not a set of, of bad companies there to speculate on right now and in the case of cucho um you know you have a backer in wheat and precious that is obviously um, willing to be patient renegotiating um you know loan terms etc to help cucho stay in the game without having uh, to dilute and and Vince has has done a good job as you said in the in the recent interview you did with him as far as negotiating for for shareholders who help finance them earlier on so um, yeah that's a good one 
You know who had a worse year than juniors in 2018 and 2019? Weed companies. <laughs> who else? <laughs> Mankind in the year 536. <laughs> Are uh, you aware of this? <laughs> no, I'm not. But those were some dark times. No, hey, well done with the pun. I don't know if it was intended, but it was literally the darkest time, right? Yep. In AD 536, Europe had what, according to scientists, is one of the worst, if not the single worst era um, in humanity, according to them, right? Um, it started, according to this article, when a mysterious fog swept not over a city, not over a state. It swept over the continent. And so you ended up with this blue haze and you had Europe, you had the Middle East and you had parts of Asia um, that were dark for 24 hours a day. Now, this didn't last for a week. This didn't last for a month. This lasted for 18 months, Nick. Was this um, from was this from um, human caused climate change, like coal burning power plants or not yet? <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. Okay. No, social media wasn't a thing yet. And uh, they hadn't figured out how to exploit that for tax revenue raising purposes yet. So this, you know, this caused crops to fail from Ireland to China. Um, you know, people, there, there, there was a famine. People were hungry. Um, it was one of the coldest eras. It, they say this is the coldest decade of the past 2000 years. Um, you know, and then you follow that up with AD 541, the bubonic plague broke plague. out. I was going to say, uh, did we have the plague yet? Yeah. 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 So, you know that, I mean, that time, if you were born around, you'd think millennials have it rough or the boomers have it rough. This was just absolutely atrocious. And so what's interesting, um, outside of all the horrific, obviously, um, casualties that resulted, um, due to this is they believe that initially they believe that a volcanic eruption, um, in the Western United States may have been the cause of these dark, dark days, right? And so now they believe that something um, in, uh, around Iceland is more consistent with the devastation that's described in the historical records. Um, so it's, 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 it's fascinating to me um, for a number of reasons. Uh, one, the way they were able to figure this out. So they had samples from the Alpine ice and they had the core, right? Much like mining, they had the core and the core showed signs of airborne pollution over a hundred years later. And they determined this to be lead. And this was released into the sky during a silver smelting boom that happened a hundred years later in the year 640. And so the demand for silver, according to the scientists um, and historians, represented an economy that was rebounding from the darkness and the starvation and, you know, the disease and everything else that was going on. So, you know, this actually led to an emergence of a new merchant class that was ready to trade in precious metals as described by the article. So I, I, I found all of those things fascinating. Um, and I thought, you know, we're coming out of Thanksgiving, man, it's a lot to be thankful for. Uh, we weren't born in the worst time of the, of the history of humankind. That's for sure. I'm going to name my bottled water line Aspen Ice, and I'm going to sell it to millennials who think they have it bad today. Aspen Ice. I love it. I love it. You'd have to put a hashtag, and then they could Google it, and then they'd probably never buy your product again, Nick. Mm, it's a shame. Um, 
Seriously, though, um, I think I had come across that 536 thing as you started describing it. It made sense to me. I feel like I had read that article at, at some point. So uh, but they run it every November is what I found. There <laughs> it is. The last, the last three years, they've run it in different publications. So I knew I had seen that before. But you know what it, it, it brings to mind for me is, well, a couple of things. One, um, I talk about cycles and I talk about you know, how things come and go around. And we've talked about the fourth turning. And I've even applied that to, to climate change. And, you know, I always make the distinction that, you know, of course, pollution is bad. And of course, we shouldn't aim to pollute. But at the same time, the earth has been through so many of these cycles documented um, over time, like the one that you're talking about now, where the blue haze rolls in and it blocks the sunlight. Well, it sounds a whole lot like, you know, you know, the pollution that we hear about now going into the atmosphere from even some of the same causes, fucking silver smelters in the year 600 for crying out loud. Smelters are still some of the most pollutive industrial machinery in the world. I mean, there's nothing new under the sun, Gerardo, is what I'm trying to say. It comes and it goes. It comes and, and another, it goes. A, another couple of woody puns. You're like the Jay-Z of intelligent woody puns. Well done, <laughs> Mr. Hodge. Well done. <laughs> and they just come to me sometimes. <laughs> so much there. I'm going to leave it alone. I know you wanted to talk about California DMVs selling info. Um, and the info is, is everything. So uh, please, please educate, enlighten us. I know I'm aware and it pisses me off to be frank, but for those that are not, can you please uh, give us a primer on, on, on these nasty DMVs? Yeah. So, you know, I mean, just a, a hate government type story. Right. But you you go to the DMV and it's one of the worst places to go. It's understaffed and you have to um, wait forever. And the and the government makes you do it. But it turns out that these DMVs are uh, making a lot of money selling your personal info like the this article we'll post a link to that was in Vice said they obtained documents um, saying that the California Department of Motor Vehicles is making $50 million a year by selling drivers uh, personal information. And they're selling um, not just your your name, but they're selling your address. They're selling your car registration information and they're selling other details. And so um, I guess you might just like assume this goes on. But when I saw that, I was like, that's really like not OK. First of all, um, like it's the government and it's like they're just like profiting off their subjects. They're like, yeah, come here, you motherfuckers and pay us to license your car and sit in line for hours while we um, understaff you and subject you to this um, whole process. And oh, by the way, that we gonna... pay for. <laughs> right, exactly. And then we're going to sell <laughs> you and then we're going to sell your information for for whatever revenue generation purposes on the back end, it just left a pretty bad taste in my mouth. And I think it's just, um, you know, evidence or anecdotal um, information that just shows where we are as far as the relationship with uh, the government and the people and the reason the people are so fucking pissed off as we've seen and we've talked about in um other countries with riots and things that are going on. But this is the stuff, right? This is the stuff that that um, citizen animosity is made of. And I, I just thought there couldn't be a more crystal clear example than the DMV selling your personal information for for gain. It's uh, it's uh, it's it's 
the blind leading the blind and you know it's raining and they're trying to tell you it's sunny and we're paying for all of it and it is absolutely infuriating um yeah we'll leave it at that you know what it's like it's like this uh this uh <laughs> this story about the cows in virtual reality and they use <laughs> virtual reality to relax the cows into producing more milk and the reason they do it is they want to convince these cows that they're standing in summer fields rather than ice cold wintry ones, right? And so they say that it calms the cow cows down and it reduces any anxiety, um, and that hopefully ultimately it makes them produce more milk. That's kind of what us paying for the DMV to exist as taxpayers, them subjecting us to just an absolutely horrible process for the most part, and then taking that process and whatever data we've given them as a result of being forced to having to go through this and then profiting off of that whole thing. It's a, it's a shell game to say the least. I'll leave it there. We're trying and, to cut down on the cursing or these motherfuckers won't sponsor us. <laughs> and you, <laughs> you wonder why, like sometimes I just wonder why, like I love the fact that we can do virtual reality on cows, but you have to ask like, why? Like, you know, um, we're starting to find out that some of these um, great Silicon Valley ideas um, that were truly great ideas, don't get me wrong, they're good concepts, but that we assign multi-billion dollar valuations to, we're, we're now starting to realize, hey, maybe that idea isn't that valuable, or hey, maybe that idea can't get monetized the way it could. Um, and, you know, I have to point back to, to WeWork in that respect um, and, and how um, investors are starting to sort of question exactly the things that I just said. Is this really a good investment? Can this be profitable? Why are we pursuing this? Right. Um, and so as you were describing the cows, I couldn't help but think just last month, just fucking last month, Gerardo, America's largest milk producer declared bankruptcy. We don't need the cows to, 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 to produce more milk. America's drinking the least milk it's drank in the past 40 fucking years. The, the milk producers are declaring bankruptcy. Why do we need to put virtual reality goggles on cows to make them produce more milk? We don't fucking need more milk. It's a waste. It's a waste of capital. It's a waste of resources. Let's focus on, like, why are we doing this, right? Sorry to go off on a tangent, but I just don't know why someone spent dollars and re human resources to put goggles on a cow to make a product that the world <laughs> is consuming less of. It reminds me of a meme that I saw over the weekend. It said, remember when MySpace used to make you rate your friends in public so they could see? <laughs> it's incredible. And people went along with it. Like, you, you had a Vic... You know, the order of friends and which ones were like your top eight, I think is what it used to be. And, you know, the amount of fights that would cause in between the friend group. I thought it was hilarious. Like people went along with this shit knowingly, volunteered yeah. it. People and then it was sold for billions of dollars or billion dollars or whatever it was. And now it's, you know, what it is. Nothing. Right. Incredible. So, All right. You know what made me smile? Can I can I share something that made me smile? Let me hear it. Six drug companies have now been subpoenaed in the federal opioids probe, um, which indicates, according to the Washington Post, um, that a broad criminal investigation is probably underway. We have talked about in the past how this country and federal prosecutors target lower income whites 
browns and black people, right? Brown, black, and white, lower income or minority. That's usually the criteria for you're a kingpin. And then they go out of the way to, to railroad people, plant drugs on people, give people 30 to 50 year sentence for absolutely bullshit. And you know, there are times when yes, there should be criminal investigations that send people to prison for life. And in the case of these drug companies that were absolutely aware of the destruction they were causing in this country um, and the deaths that were, that were, that were happening as a result of the stuff they were peddling. Um, I hope that every law on the books is used to railroad these guys and gals, the way those laws are used to decimate, um, you know, large portions of our society here in the United States, a country which incarcerates more nonviolent offenders than anyone else in the world. Um, so I thought that was a step in the right direction anyway. Well, I haven't seen the article, so I can't comment. But the only thing I'll say is I remember last time you and I talked about this, um, there had been a deal struck. I think it was in Ohio, if memory serves, um, to allow the drug companies to um, avoid prosecution, right? Pay fines, create programs, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and the discussion you and I had was, if I recall, was that, um, well, we have to wait and see how this is going to um, affect other states. And if, um, you know, other states are going to follow this model of, of making a deal with the drug companies. But it sounds um, by what you're describing like that might not be the case. So I'll have to um, brush up a bit on the information that you're talking about. But certainly I'm with you. Let's hold these companies accountable and not let them you know, whatever, plea out or strike deals or bargain. Agreed. Here's some facts. I mean, more than 400,000 people have died of opioid overdoses since 99. This is according to the Washington Post. So let's look at that. Half of them died as a result of heroin and fentanyl, right? Which, you know, we, we were, we're going after China and we're going after El Chapo and we're going after Mexican cartels and we're going after, you know, and, and, and rightfully so, right? And, and, and so we're going after all these groups that are flooding our communities with this stuff that is clearly just meant to kill, right? It, it has uh, very little medicinal value the way that it's being distributed. But the other half of those 400,000 people that died of opioid overdoses since 1999 died as a result of prescription narcotics. And so again, if it's good for the goose, it should be good for the gander. And, and, and I, I, I hope they, they, they make these people pay. So um, this isn't a happy note to close out on, but I think it ties up um, a lot of themes nicely. And um, it's something I've read about before, but it's come back in headlines this week. And it's the fact that uh, American life expectancy is in decline. So this opioid epidemic has killed so many young people that um, the average overall life expectancy in the United States has fallen. Um, you know, we were supposed to, the average mortality was 77 and now it's 76 or whatever. I just made that up. But so many young people have died that the, the age we're expected to live to has gone down. You might have come across articles like this in the past year or two mm -hmm. um, as the phrase um, like deaths of despair has come um, to the fore because there's been so many, not just drug overdoses, uh, but suicides of, of people that are supposed to be in the prime of their lives, age 25 to 64, um, liver disease from drinking um, and other causes that have to do with 
um, you know, not having a healthy lifestyle or depression, mental illness, et cetera. And so um, one, to your point, yeah, the opioid epidemic is obviously a huge issue to the extent that it's reduced the life expectancy of the entire country of over 300 million people. Um, but two, um, is this whole bizarro fourth turning things that people can't put their quite put their finger on, like what's wrong, like wages aren't rising. Um, everybody's got to work two jobs, but the stocks keep going up, but only 10% of the people own stocks. Um, and this sort of like puts that all into a, a thing where we're 10 years into a recovery due for a new recession. People aren't feeling so great. You and I are saying like gold's got to go up. There's going to be a rush to safe havens. Um, Ray Dalio's writing that the system is broken. And obviously people are feeling like the system is broken if these deaths of despair are rising so fast. And that's not a real nice bookend to put on this conversation. But <laughs> um, look, that's like the stark reality, right? Like everything is not awesome. It's truly bizarre out there and people can't figure out why it's bizarre or why they've been affected or why they can't get ahead. And it has to do with, you know, the invisible hand and currencies and the fed and stealing from savers and rates and stuff that's complex and cycles that are 80 to a hundred years long that are tough to identify um, unless you listen to the bizarro world podcast. And so um, I don't know, man, I think that, like I said, probably a month or two ago, we just need a, we need that event. We need that catalyst. We need that whatever starting gun for the next cycle, the the continuation of the fourth turning that sees, um, you know, not just a restructuring of the financial system that you and I have been talking about, but other institutions as well, some of which um, we touch on from time to time in this podcast, like um, politics and um, incarceration, um, justice and things like that. Um, and so I'll shut up. I'm starting to rant, but, um, no, you're the, right. the opioid Keep epidemic tied, just tying it into these deaths of despair and, and why the economy looks good on paper, but doesn't feel good in your own, in your own house, et cetera. Um, I don't know. I don't know what I just did there, but I probably just rambled for a second. No, no, no. A point's well taken. Um, you know, it shouldn't cost more to provide quality daycare for your kid um, than it does to send that kid to college, right? It shouldn't cost more, or we shouldn't pay more, because it doesn't cost more. It's, this is the way the system's set up to incarcerate a human being. 93% um, of those incarcerated will see the streets again, and yet as a society in the US, we do very little to next to nothing um, to actually rehabilitate people that are going to be back on the street around my kids and your kids and us. And so it shouldn't cost more to house these people in a system that does zero to rehabilitate them than it does to put them through some schooling and actually rehabilitate them. And so again, the priorities are, are topsy-turvy, they're upside down, and you're absolutely right. It's going to be a restructuring of the entire system um, that, that occurs. And again, we've said it before, somebody's got to light the, 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 the cocktail, right? The Molotov cocktail metaphor that I use. Somebody's going to have to light it. And I, I think we're getting closer to that moment. Um, this next election cycle is going to be very, very interesting by cycle. I mean, the actual election, the presidential election here in the U S I think I, I, I see stupid things like, um, you know, guys with guns that say, Hey, you know, if president Trump 
loses to Bernie and socialism wins. And, you know, I got this, like their gun was the last one sold and nobody else on the left has guns. Right. And so, but it's interesting. People are positioning that way. At least they're, they're articulating their position that way. And you see people on the left, you know, that have similar stupid memes and posts about the way they feel about things. And I, it's like neither side speaks. So I think both sides, each side thinks that they're the only ones that can be extreme and that's dangerous. A good I mean, therapist will tell you it takes two to tango, right? I was just going to say it takes two. And look what look what this evolving dichotomy about extremism and politics has gotten you with the the, the Trumpsters. So, um, yeah, we like you said, they're like we've said that uh, we think the he's going to get elected again because um, the left hasn't, quite frankly, come up with a good candidate. And now Bloomberg is in there. Um mucking things up but all part of just to tie it back to the macro again you know symptoms of of something much bigger that's that's going on for sure and and i yeah go ahead no it's there's just going to be uh a realigning of priorities i was going to tie it back to the cows you know Hmm. where we go back (laughs) to, to valuing real work and real labor and profitable ideas and and you know, not given a billion dollars in VC funding to some company who's going to put goggles on a cow to make a product <laughs> that we're consuming less of. I couldn't agree more. It's interesting times. It's a bizarro world. That's all we got this week. This was episode 46. I am your host, Gerardo Del Real, along with my co-host, Mr. Nick Hodge. Nick, any parting words? Nope. Look ahead. See you later. Love each other. Be nice to each other. If you don't like each other, disagree civilly, people. It'll 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 get you a long way in life and uh, make for a happier human being, which we should all try to be. Have a good one. We'll see you all next Monday, Tuesday, folks. See ya.